the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 469. I'm your host, Paul Spain. And today, Stephen Phillips from Sumo Logic in the studio. Welcome Hello, back, Stephen. Thank you. How it's, are you? Uh, great, great to be here. Great to have you here. Now, there's quite a bit going on locally in New Zealand this week. I was, I was looking through the, the bits and pieces of, of topics and, um, yeah, that's, it's not all about what's happening on the other side of the world. It's, uh, it's mostly about what's happening here this week, which is, is good. Uh, now, first up, we've had a, a little bit of a change in the world of e-scooters around uh around well particularly in in auckland has been the uh the most recent announcement which is that um the lime scooters that have really filled up our our streets in auckland over well for for well over a year now are, are basically are gone um they've been told to collect them up clear out and um they've been uh um, I don't know, somewhat politely uh, booted, booted out. Yeah, and, and I think it's probably about time. Uh, you know, I, I think New Zealand has taken a, a very different approach to what they've done in London. You know, L- London wanted to get the infrastructure right before they introduced scooters in, whereas New Zealand's thought, she'll be right, uh, let, let's just try this out and see what happens. And um, uh, we can see what happens. Uh, pe- people get hurt. Um, and you know n- now it's time, I suppose, for for uh, for the next um, sort of vendor to come and come and try their wheels. Wheels. Yeah, I mean, certainly from the safety perspective, we've, I think we've heard figures of four million dollars in terms of yeah, costs that have been borne, or in that sort of direction, um, by the Accident Compensation Corporation, which you know fronts up and 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 pays for people's medical care. And yeah, varying other yeah, re- related uh, costs. Now, it's a little bit hard to know. Some of those people may be no longer riding a bicycle; they're riding an e-scooter. Would they have had an accident? But it seems to me probably more likely to have accidents on e-scooters than walking or riding a bicycle. Um, and there's the the aspect of with a bicycle. The very very large majority of people wear a helmet, and with a with an e scooter, if you own an e scooter, there's probably a reasonable chance you're going to also wear a helmet. Certainly, a, a little bit more so than if you're just jumping on one that's that's on the street that doesn't have a helmet with it. But you're also ticking a part of the the app as it, as it was with Lime that says that you will wear. Uh, a helmet, which just seemed to be a bit farcical to me, that you know, you'd be forced to agree to something that there's no way that you could possibly comply with unless you were carrying a helmet around and you're, you know, with you. Which uh, I'm not sure what percentage of the population does that. Stephen, do you carry the helmet with you around around the city at all? Uh, cer- certainly, I don't. No, <laughs> no, that's not normal. I mean, no. look, if you if you're out and uh, you know, I know you do a bit of bit of uh, biking and mountain biking and the like, uh, you know, that sort of situation you're geared up for it, but 
um, this sort of scenario when you're likely to come across a lime scooter, lime scooter, that's uh, that's not probably the norm. So. Yeah, I, I think you can never have you know too much in the way of uh, you know, protective equipment to try and keep yourself safe. So yeah, yeah. Um, but there's another angle I, I saw um, some um, commentary indicating, hey, this, you know, this doesn't set a good precedent in terms of us dealing with. Uh, international firms ha- or even local firms sort of having confidence in councils when you know the playing field is is, is moving and I get that there you know you, there, there needs to be some um, some caution but this very much right from the beginning was you know trial three month trial extended and so on and obviously it's a pretty interesting space because you've got you know, about five you know at least five. Or, uh, or six vendors involved in the market in in New Zealand, uh, Flamingo and whatnot, um, you know, and uh, you know Uber Uber in there under under uh, you know in a, in a couple of uh, different ways in terms of you know, the companies that, that they back. So um, yeah, I've, I'm uh, I guess I'm I'm not so concerned about that aspect, but it's probably more the safe the safety aspect that that's concerned me and then being a taxpayer and knowing that actually what these e-scooter companies have been you know paying back doesn't necessarily line up at all with what the cost is of the accidents let alone the impact that that has on on those individual people's lives and on you know the economy when you've got uh, people that aren't able to work because they're stuck in hospital and and the like so I'm, I'm not quite sure we've got it right but I do think we should be experimenting with new technologies and, and working out how the stuff looks I think I said maybe a year or even two years ago that I'm not sure we've reached kind of the end game with these with these e-scooters. I think there will be there will be some other other tech coming, and there was news this week of uh, um, a more uh, not a, not a, what not what you would what, what we would call the um, the the e-scooter more a, um, a a moped moped maybe might be the the the, the term um, for some what look like 50cc uh, little you know moped scooter type things uh, in India and there's a startup there called uh, Bounce in Bangalore and they've got uh, 17,000 of these um, both electric and and gasoline scooters, mopeds, whatever you want to uh, uh, call them and uh, they've they've, uh, I think just recently raised 150 million um, US in uh, ad- additional funding, so yeah. do you think that could be the next wave for New Zealand? I mean, the parking wise is very different. You can't just scatter the the footpaths uh, with with them. But I imagine you've got bigger batteries, and they're they're more geared up for sort of longer journeys where you could ca- you know ride one of those and, instead of other uh, modes modes of transport yeah I, I think a lot of lot of the issues that they're uh, facing at the moment is you know the, the scooters people are coming off basically with the wheels sort of sliding out when it's wet and things like that um, you're not going to have maybe quite so many uh, of those sort of things because some people that'll take these will be more familiar with that but uh, you know the mopeds 
uh, will have the ability to actually use the cycle lanes whereas the scooters don't at the moment. So we haven't thought through those, what are the corridors that these different vehicles and all use at the moment. Well, the, the, so. the scooters are, uh, are quite broadly used on the cycle lanes, and we yeah. would have, have some debate, uh, certainly among, amongst our team here, uh, yeah. if we do- delved into uh, that. And I, I think depending on whether somebody rides or owns a bicycle or an e-scooter in terms of where they think it's appropriate to, yeah. uh, to ride it. I mean, I would think these sort of scooter moped things that they're talking about in India, that, I mean, basically the equivalent of, of you know, 50 cc uh, type motorbikes but they've got you know some some that are and some that are that are electric based i mean those, those look very much geared up for uh, for the road rather yeah. than even this even even potentially um yeah, well, exactly. some cycle cycle areas so yeah um look i'm i'm not willing to put a bet on where our transport will be uh, 10 or 20 years out but i think there's still a lot of a lot of experimentation Absolutely. and a lot of changes ahead and certainly the the, the autonomous piece in the puzzle as, as that lands that will that will change things and as we uh, you know maybe join join up um, some dots in other ways um, you know it's all it's all going to shape what the what the future looks like do you think the next batch of uh, scooter vendors in New Zealand are going to have the controls in there too you know Will we see helmets being mandatory or provided? Uh, will we see controls to stop uh, uh, people that are maybe a little bit inebriated jumping on a scooter? Because apparently that's actually where a lot of the accidents have occurred. You know, yes. people out for a out for a drink and then uh, decide it's a great idea to use a scooter and they forget about the helmet completely. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good point actually because you know I think if you look at the the data and and I haven't seen it. There must be a lot that you can tell from that, and they've. I think in some cases there've there've already been some uh, agreement to curfews and the like, which ties into that. Yeah. And, and it's and maybe that's unfair on those people who haven't been drinking that there's now a curfew in place, and you can't, you know, yeah. you can't use an e-scooter because some other people at that time of night, uh, yeah, you know, use them. Uh, inappropriately, so there's a way in which uh, data can get can get used uh, against some people, probably un, unfairly. That's that's yeah. I guess always going to be the case. Um, so, mm. yes, uh, I think yeah, it's going to be curious how how all that lands. But I I, I think the regulators and you know, it seems to be council who are um, you know, making most of the decisions at the, at, at the moment. They can move a bit quicker than central government. Uh, in, in a lot of cases uh, it's in their hands and so they would have that choice of saying that you have to wear helmets but they I mean yeah maybe they don't want to look that they're you know, spoiling people's fun and it doesn't come out of their pockets uh, if people have accidents so the you know the the, the flow on it's it's impacting um, yeah, I guess yeah, if you had to look for some, who's being who's being impacted financially, that's the uh, ACC Accident Compensation um, Corporation. So, uh, yeah. whereas they they don't have any, um, you know, well, well, so much of a role here. So, uh, hmm. interesting, interesting times. I certainly hope that whatever changes they have put in place, that we see a big a big drop uh, in the accidents anyway, and. If it's if it's all down to um, 
yeah, drunk riding, uh, <laughs> then uh, yeah, a, a chunk of that can certainly be uh, uh, be a, be addressed by uh, limiting the times in which people can ride, rightly or wrongly. So, yeah. Yeah. Or, or breathalyzer to turn it on. Yes, well, yeah, you you, <laughs> you, you, you you could do that. I think there are probably ways of working around that stuff too. But there yeah, you go. Yeah, get, you get, get, get your mate to do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, GST. GST, I'm glad I've got my uh, Christmas uh, Christmas online shopping done already. The, I mean, we talked about these things over quite a yeah, quite a long period, quite a number of years, and um, yeah, finally we've 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 reached uh, that that point where yeah, most things that you buy online, even very small dollar values, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, they're going to be uh, well, they they are now being uh, being taxed. So GST is going on on top um, and look the, the technological challenges in terms of how you do this but the the government approach of really hitting organizations who are selling more than 60,000 or companies that are selling more than $60,000 a, a year into the New Zealand market um, being um, um, somewhat forced to uh, comply with uh, with collecting GST and uh, yeah, I'm just wondering how they're going to actually do that with uh, you know local entities who you know set up a shop here yeah, yeah, yeah you stop them one week and they could be back basically on a different domain the next week uh, that's right uh, well it's um, I guess by setting it at setting it at that sort of uh, figure. They've decided that you know that's what sort of is 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 likely to work, and yeah, you can't make every single scenario work. But mm. I guess if you know if you've got a business that's doing that much in New Zealand, they might well be doing much more in other markets, and yeah, very yeah. hard for them to maybe maybe dodge it. But there will be some cases, yeah, possibly where they 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 manage to uh, they manage to dodge it. Yeah. Um, but on the plus side, if you're doing those transactions that are over 400 New Zealand dollars, between 400 and 1,000, in the past, those used to be, that could be quite painful. You bought $600 worth of whatever it is from uh, from overseas, and then it would get held up at the border. Yep. You were having to pay GST plus some sort of customs, customs clearance and, and type. handling, handling um, fee. Yeah, and hand, handling type fee. So, yep. you know, what should have maybe been a, you know, $100 GST on an item, you might have ended up paying closer to 200 uh, by the you know by the time those other costs so now you've got for those anything under a thousand that that goes away and it's just the GST so there is there is a little bit of a silver lining in here isn't there um, I'm I'm hoping so because um, <laughs> I've I've had um, one set of goods you know protective clothing to actually stop accidents uh, happening that you know uh, it. it adds about an extra week and a bit basically to the delivery you have to manually sort of provide all of the invoices back to the vendors and uh, th- then they invoice you and then you pay them and then they get the broker or the clearance person to send it to you so it's a very convoluted process at the moment so yeah. it'd be great for that to go away yeah uh, yeah I, I i think it i think it's good and so yeah hopefully that all is is smooth and from the perspective of look i, I mean i've certainly benefited from you know buying you know, little gadgets and cables and all sorts of little things, mounting brackets for GoPros and 
whatnot. Um, I mean, all, all manner of things really online, and uh, I certainly benefited. But I mean, fifteen percent. I think you know it's better that we have a level playing field for our New Zealand retailers versus those that are yeah, um, absolutely in other locations. Not 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 that it necessarily is a level level playing field because there's scale and there's all sorts of things, and uh, entities that are that are shipping. From China to New Zealand have a have a crazy unfair advantage that their shipping costs from China to New Zealand are, are less than what it costs to uh, you know send a letter from you know one suburb in, in Christchurch to another suburb in Christchurch or yeah. from you know <laughs> you know anywhere in the country like that you can you pick any uh, town or city and uh, yep. um, you know the the international uh, setups for for shipping are. Uh, are, are kind of nuts if if it can go and you know fit within what can be carried by the postal service, um, and I think there's been a little bit of coverage on online around around that and uh, um, mm. yeah it's 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 not quite not quite fair on local retailers yeah. uh, and hence why you see on Trade Me I mean most things have got a minimum five dollars shipping on Trade Me yet yeah you can go online and buy something from uh, yeah, uh, from from or China or whatnot yeah. for you know you buy some little thing it might be a it might be a dollar. And it's got free shipping on it. You think, yeah. how does How'd that happen? That's <laughs> nuts. Uh, but there we are. That is New Zealand today. Um, that's what uh, some retailers face. Now, on to one thing that I've... Um, I was actually talking to somebody about this last week, and he was um, saying, Paul, why don't we have um, um, Apple Watches in New Zealand that connect to the mobile network like people do in every other country? And the following morning was an announcement from Spark and from Apple uh, to say that Apple are launching the uh, Apple Watch with uh, cellular uh, connectivity in New Zealand uh, and that arrives on the 13th of December. I think you can start placing uh, pre-orders this week. So, uh, yeah, it's... uh, it's happening, and um, it will it will be, I think, yeah, quite nice if you're, uh, you know, someone who has worn an Apple Watch in the past, but you're really keen for that capability of, of being able to maybe not have to carry a phone around, but still be able to get those critical communications or have communications. And for me, there's probably two scenarios. One is was you know out exercising and and so on. You you know you don't want to be carrying. Uh, extra gadgetry and the other is maybe you want to be a bit more disconnected you still want to be able to be reached but you don't necessarily want to have a you know a, a screen uh, to look at get a bit of time away from the uh, from the smartphone uh, nice. then I think there, yeah, there's a there's a good good approach there so um, yeah just days away now you're not really you're not so much of um, um, of an uh, Apple user using the Samsung uh, phone there. Yep, I'm using the Note Note 10 Plus. Yeah, it's a, it's a great device. Yeah, even even looking at using it basically as a desktop at home um, for you know, just right around the home type sort of things. So yep. yeah, yeah, both my wife and I have uh, got got Samsung devices. Yeah, well and in, well into the ecosystem. Um. Yeah. So, but look, I, I, I think we good. And of course, you know, Samsung have have got, uh, you know, they were they were in fact their first in the in the market with uh, with Spark 
supporting them with their eSIM capability. Um, but really the interesting thing with the uh, Apple Watch and this uh, eSIM support from Spark uh, is that they've also enabled the one number capability. So that means you can get your text messages Ooh. and your calls on your watch as though you had taken a SIM card out of your phone and plugged it into your into your uh, watch, which of course is not possible because it uses a an eSIM or an, you know an embedded uh, SIM uh, capability. So yeah, very nice. I think uh, it was about twelve dollars or twelve dollars fifty uh, a month. I did read something suggesting maybe the first three months are free. Uh, the kicker for me is I'm going to be away when this launches, so the, the timing's not quite right for me to uh, to get hands-on uh, with it uh, when it arrives. So I was hoping to get hands-on that next week, but I fly to Singapore on, on Saturday and we'll, we'll be out of the country when it lands. So I'll report probably have to report back on that uh uh, maybe ja- January on, on experiences. But, of course, travelling, it, it triggered a thought for me, well, what happens when you're overseas? What's the roaming look like and what would that cost? Hmm. Well, it doesn't roam. So you lose that cellular capability when you're traveling. So just something to be aware of. Probably not a you know, not a major issue for a lot of people. You probably, you know, cope. But, uh, yeah, it's just that little tinge of disappointment f- uh, for me. And, um, yeah, but we'll, we'll see. I'm looking forward to trying it. Now, of course, to try it, it means that my primary connection needs to be with Spark. So... Um, um, so great idea I'm for gonna have to have to uh, yeah well and and this is why the you know this is naturally why uh, you know why they've pushed ahead to get it because it helps them uh, keep the you know the you know, particularly higher higher value customers and also potentially win some customers uh, off Vodafone who like me want to at least you know try it out um, or they're very keen on it and so you know, I, I have a, a Spark connection and a Vodafone connection. Uh, but the primary one with my main number is going to have to be on uh, on Spark to try this out. So, uh, bit of number uh, porting going on there. Yes, yes. So I'm actually not not uh, not not looking forward to porting numbers. And I know, yeah, the large majority of the time it it, it goes fine. But there's that that little bit of what if what if something doesn't? But you know, mm. I th- I think people will probably still be able to track me down one way or another. So it's just. Uh, and and in most cases, I think the networks are uh, are reasonably good at it these days. We've been doing it for quite a number of years here in New Zealand. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, now on to um, other bits and pieces. We've got uh, we talked a lot about uh, sport, streaming, and rights and other bits and pieces this year. Um, and uh, the Tokyo Olympics next year. Um, there's a, a bit of a deal's been struck between uh, Sky and uh, Television New Zealand, so there will be you know, content uh, to a degree accessible in, uh, in in both places, which is interesting. Yeah, it's uh, sort of almost the opposite of what happened with the Rugby World Cup. So it's <laughs> well, gone TV, the other way. TV, TV, TV and Z are, are winning in both <laughs> cases, right? Absolutely. So you know, having good production quality is obviously very important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the the, um, the story is that that, that Sky is going to have the the bulk of the you know the, the content for their paying uh, mm-hmm. customers, and uh, they're going to have it you know in HD across I think a dozen um, uh, 
uh, channels and then across their, their, their streaming capability, uh, TVNZ themselves will then have access to uh, content for, uh, for their news programs and I think something like 12, 12 hours of um, um, up to 12 hours of coverage um, each day. So, uh, mm. yeah, so significant access to, uh, to the Olympics. And I'm mm. not sure the Olympics is, is maybe what it, what it once was for, uh, for you know, Kiwi audiences. I mean, you know, yeah. back, back, back in the day, uh, yeah. in the, you know, decades ago, there, there, there wasn't, I mean, there was a time we only had, you know, one or maybe two, two stations. Yeah. And, and so, you know, when the Olympics was on, it's, you didn't really see much else. So, you know, of course it, uh, um, you know, it was, it was given a huge amount of attention. But uh, these days we've got so many different things that we can be watching and uh, and, and doing it, so it. It's nothing like that. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So I think, I think I'm going to have to actually get a uh, Sky subscription now and uh, keep, keep my Spark one on, uh, on hold for a little while. You know, you, I don't, you know, unless you've got too much money, you can't afford to get all of the subscriptions you keep, want anymore. Keep, keep them all going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, now, also, and we didn't get a chance to uh, to dive into this last week. We've now got to the end of the first uh, the first stage. You could say the first decade uh, of um, ultra fast broadband uh, rollout in New Zealand. And so, for for those that uh, that remember, the government uh, kicked this off. Uh, two two thousand and nine, that they yep. kind of got the got the ball rolling, and uh, uh, they set up uh, what was Crown Fibre Holdings uh, initially, and um, then um, you know more recent years became uh, Crown Infrastructure uh, Partners, uh, who we of course had had uh, on the podcast, um, and the, you know they had their initial target of hitting. Uh, I think 75% of the population uh, reaching them with uh, with fibre or ultra-fast broadband as, as it's been uh, uh, referred to. Um, but uh, around around now, uh, if you're in that first stage, um, there's a very, very high chance that uh, fibre is in your street and, uh, and available to you. Now, there's, of course... That was seventy five percent. So there's another twenty five percent of the population who are um, uh, either in the queue or, in some cases, have got it already because the the what's uh, sometimes we referred to as UFB two, uh, you know, of course has has been moving along at uh, at some pace. And then we've got other other connectivity options like the the rural broadband uh, initiative yeah, sure. that's yep. uh, that, that, that's been putting. Um, uh, faster connectivity uh, to those in in rural locations. So you've got uh, fibre to your home. Absolutely. Yeah. How long have you had that? Um, about a year. About a year. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah it does does change the the way that you sort of uh, work. Um, but yeah, as, as soon as I saw them basically coming near the road with the digger, basically I uh, got it got in there. Yeah. So it was a very seamless process. It, uh, 
literally I think from the time the guy turned up at the house to the time we had fibre working uh, was 15-20 minutes and it was done Wow! Uh, we were able to use the existing ducting and it was just really fast wow Wow, yeah. that's fantastic! And uh, yeah, I'm still, still, still on the uh, on the gig plan, but yeah, you never quite get a gig. Um, but twenty uh, percent apparently of the market now are on yeah. on that on this um, you know top top plan, which yeah, uh, you know, is an indicator that that that, that we like. We like good speeds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we probably don't need them most of the time, but it's yeah. nice to have them have have that extra headroom there. Yeah, my kids tell me it's due to the low latency is is why you need the faster plan. Apparently, that's what they say. Oh, well, you have you have you have to go with it. You can't not have the fastest. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you know there, there's a lot. There's a whole lot we could delve into on that. But yeah, I think we you know we've talked a lot about. Um, ultra fast broadband and you know our connectivity in, in New Zealand and the good uh, the good state that it's in mm. um, so the, 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 we probably won't spend too much time delving it into it but um, certainly in the in the next year it would be good to look a little bit more around what ne- you know what's next and uh, uh, where we're going with uh, with 5g which of course is you know, an important part of our connectivity picture um, and then you know how those how those gaps get filled in as well with uh, with satellite uh, uh, connections and you know of course the government is as and uh, crown infrastructure uh, partners have also uh, been involved involving the wireless internet service providers or WISPs uh, yep. for for short uh, in the mix so you know it's 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 you know it's great to see that. Um, you know they've they've really looked across all the the varying mechanisms and um, yeah we've we've seen I think some some impressive results so far certainly any time we look across the ditch in Australia we can feel uh, we can feel pretty pleased with how it's uh, uh, always how makes it's you gone, makes gone you feel good so far yeah. makes you feel good yeah, um, yeah. I shared um, uh, I was was at an event at uh, at Parliament um, a couple of weeks ago now or a week and a half or so ago. Uh, where they, a chorus that chorus were holding there to sort of you know celebrate the uh, the results and the, the minister and a, you know, a few other uh, folks got up to um, got up to, to talk and yeah I think there, there's, there's certainly a, a feeling that um, yeah the the broad support for the uh, the the initiative of, of, of getting ultra fast broadband out and um, you know the the I guess opposite to Australia, where each political party sort of tried to stir the pot and change things. Um, the fact that we, you know, w- we had that um, that broad support right from the get go has has I think really benefited us as a country. Well, significantly, I think you know we're probably one of the top five nations in the world in terms of connectivity now, and uh, it's it's unlocking doors for our, our especially companies that are getting involved in. Uh, Tech export and uh, mm. and that side of things, absolutely. Now, in the early days when it started uh, started rolling out, and you know, I, I think you know, on this show we've watched it pretty closely. In fact, you know, I moved I moved house to a location that could get uh, access to fibre in the early days, and uh, and and uh, two of the uh, internet service providers. 
uh, helped me uh, get on board and uh, and test it out. Um, two who are now uh, partners of the show, uh, I think uh, Vodafone connected me to their uh, their trial, and uh, one of the uh, one of Vocus uh, Communications brands also, um, yeah, linked linked me up. So I was, I was probably one of the few homes in the country with. Uh, with two ultra fast broadband connections, there wow. weren't too many people with fiber at that stage. Um, but yeah, we're now at a point where the uh, I think it's uh, over sixty percent um, uptake in um, in in many many locations, which is uh, you know a big change from those early days where people would yeah, yeah fibers available in the street, but you know who cares? I I don't need it at the moment. And and now we're uh, mo- you know the majority of people are um, uh, are switching across. Yeah, the the uptake of fibre has been certainly a lot faster than the uptake of DSL, even when people were getting off uh, dial-up and mm, the links. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very uh, very very pleasing, and uh, you know I think it, it can have a very good um, a very good flow on. All right, uh, now what else have we got? Uh, well, on the keeping on that that front of connectivity. Uh, this has been the the week for 5G in New Zealand. Um, not yeah. in a big way, though. I've got to say, uh, in a little in a little way. So um, Spark were first cab off the rank, and no no, no doubt as um, as partners for the NZ Tech podcast, they were uh, they were they were listening in a couple of weeks ago to um, to Tony Baird from um, Vodafone. Um, talking about uh, Vodafone being the the um, you know, the first to uh, to launch 5G, and uh, the uh, the the cheeky chaps down at uh, Spark decided, well, actually, no, we can uh, we can win this one and uh, and and get in first. So uh, la- last week they uh, they they launched their um, their first public uh, 5G service. Uh, being uh, what's referred to as um, fixed wireless access, and uh, you know this allows people to in uh, the, the areas of Westport, Clyde, Twizel, Tekapo, and Hokitika uh, to get 5G. Uh, I, I guess uh, primarily to their uh, um, their homes with a with a router uh, that sits generally in the window. And uh, and picks up a 5G signal and gives you uh, you know nice fast internet in your home. So it's um, probably a great thing. They um, might not be able to get the fibre there, so having 5G wireless is even better. Yeah. Well, if that's uh, if that's the best option at the moment, then um, uh, very interesting. And um, uh, for those that followed on uh, Twitter, there was a uh, uh, um, a bit of a cheeky jab from. Um, um, Vodafone New Zealand uh, CEO Jason <laughs> Jason uh, Paris Paris yeah. Um, yeah little 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 bit of uh, fun there um, but you know I think look it's great that there's that there's a bit of competition and and you know that our big players in New Zealand are, are trying to uh, yeah. Um, both position position themselves well as in regards to 5G. Uh, realistically, though, Vodafone are in the box seat here, and that they've got this um, 3.5 gigahertz uh, spectrum, 
which Spark don't have access to until the next sort of Spectrum auction comes up, which you know uh, it could be a couple of years away before they they get any of that uh, of that Spectrum. Um, so yeah, it's all a bit of fun at the moment, and and there's a level of of you know marketing teams and 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 PR uh, type spin around this stuff, and and that's I guess evidenced by the the press release we saw uh, today. Um, was it today? Or was it yesterday? I think um, for uh, for this week, uh, which is Vodafone um, talking about. Uh, 5G enabling Wellington uh, Airport, and uh, I, w- I was, you know, I saw the email uh, press release uh, through from them, and uh, um, you know they'd said uh, Vodafone had said they're launching 5G in in New Zealand um, this month. So I thought, oh, well, they're uh, they're moving quickly. It's right at the beginning of the month, and uh, uh, and away they go. But when I delved into the press announcement. Uh, a, a little bit deeper. Um, I don't know. I wasn't. It didn't didn't seem quite. Um, yeah, quite as excited. So the headline you can read this on Vodafone's uh, website. Wellington Airport becomes New Zealand's first five G connected airport, um, and they're basically uh, offering. They've got um, one of these what you would call the sort of fixed wireless access uh, 5G access points so the same as what um, Spark are offering into people's homes uh, or a similar you know, type of uh, type of device and they're saying that they will uh, this is actually a, f- a free trial it's going to last uh, for a week and will allow up to five users to connect to the 5G wireless device for f- five minutes at a time now this is not using a 5G phone. Uh, it's just using that fixed access point. So you would be using Wi-Fi from your phone or your laptop to connect to the 5G um, access point. So I don't know. To me, it, it sounds a little bit like marketing um, spin, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very pleased to see that we have, um, you know, 5G coming from. Um, from Vodafone uh, this month and it will be available uh, from a whole range of well not a huge range but a a a number of uh, of, of smartphones in New Zealand yeah. and um, and yeah presumably the fixed fixed wireless access as well now I don't know how slim that will be but they've they've, they've promised it this month and uh, and and things are stepping up so it it's kind of a little bit of fun at the moment to sit on the sidelines isn't it Stephen to sort of you know watch uh, watch you know how how our um, biggest telcos sort of jousted out a little bit but uh, Spark can't do too much with the spectrum they have at the moment to be fair I'll try it out tomorrow I'm down at the Wellington airport tomorrow okay. hopefully it's Wi-Fi 6 and I can get more than 200 megabits per second we'll yeah see, we'll see how it goes yep yep all right we'll look look forward <laughs> to hearing about uh, about that um yep so i don't want to make you know too much too much uh, fun of uh, of people's uh, of these you know how how the, the marketing uh, happens and you know look i guess they they want there to be noise they want the country to get excited about the next wave of technology and look I'm I'm all for that, um, but uh, yeah, sometimes the uh, the the write-ups I guess don't uh, 
Uh, don't don't push my buttons quite right. That's uh, all very good. They're, they're saving people's dogs. <laughs> they're what? You seen the ad on TV where 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 the vet uh, oh, surgeon that's right, that's saves right. the dog? Yeah, don't, it's don't get me good. don't get me started on that one and and whether that really <laughs> needed five G or, or or not or would happen over a fixed connection. Anyway, that's uh, that's for, that's for um, another day. Now another local story. Unfortunately, is this um, police data leak? Um, the you know we, we're going through this process of of the um, gun uh, buyback following the um, Christchurch shootings, and uh, this has actually been talked about a lot in the studio uh, because the, the 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 podcast New Zealand studio uh, gets. Uh, uh, um, Rented by the uh, the ACT Party each week, and you know, of course, one of their things has been anti the gun buyback, and they're saying, "Hey, this is all too too fast. We should slow down and, and get it right before doing it." Um, well, the police seem to be a, a little bit in the in the same boat with uh, uh, trying to get out of uh, out of hot water for uh, for leaking uh, the details of uh, of of gun owners, and uh, they had apparently uh, you know out outsourced. Um, this uh, this data collection and and the database, and um, you know they've they've certainly uh, you know apologised for uh, for what happened, but uh, um, I I saw that it was it was quoted that they were saying that well they they just had to move at such pace to uh, facilitate this thing and uh, and and you know somewhat hence why they they didn't get a uh, maybe uh, a chance to have a, a better process but to me it it, it just seems um, it seems you know incredibly poor that such important information is is able just to be uh, leaked and that this sort of database could be you know incorrectly accessed I mean you can't get everything right you know hundred percent of stuff right a hundred percent of the time. Um, but it just seems like an, an incredible shortcoming to leak such such important information, and you give away a database of, of gun owners, and um, you know most most of these people that are fronting up and admitting that they uh, have these guns and are going through a buyback process are probably you know, fairly law-abiding people. Yeah. Um, but then there's a database that could sort of get into the wrong hands, and um, those folks could could know where to. You know, go and go and steal guns from, and so on. So, it's, yeah, it's um, not certainly not a good outcome. Mm. Well, I mean, there there has been an indication. I've seen. I think there's there's been you know one suggestion of of you know this getting into a bunch of people's hands. Then the police were saying, well, only you know only one um, dealer has logged in since they apparently made this faux pas and and. You know, started providing access incorrectly to uh, to this data, um, and that dealer reported it to them. So I hope that that's the case that it just it hasn't got out there, and it's just an embarrassment. But in actual fact, no one's got the data. Not sure I would be so confident based on there being some some suggestions otherwise. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, certainly it needs to be taken uh, very, very serious. This. And uh, you know, an, an organisation such as the New Zealand Police can't opt out of following best practices. No. Uh, regardless of whether they actually outsourced it or not, that should have been in the scope of what they were doing. If somebody makes change to a system, um, they should be doing security testing to make sure that the scope of access hasn't hasn't changed uh, between versions or updates. So um, you, know, you, you can't blame it on, on the vendor. Um, you possibly can't blame it on the service provider who's doing the configuration of the vendor's technology. It comes down to uh, process and policy wasn't followed. And uh, that's really where things have gone wrong, I think. Yeah, and and it, and it's shocking that this sort of stuff keeps uh, keep keeps happening. Now, I'm keen to hear a little bit from you around what's happening in the world of of Sumo Logic. Maybe you can um, just remind listeners where where Sumo Logic sort of you know fits in yeah. uh, into this uh, tech world because um, <laughs> we we had your um, co-founder and, and CEO um, Christian Bedkin on the uh, New Zealand Tech podcast earlier on this year. Yes. And, um, and you know, gained, gained some um, some good insights then, but not everyone will have heard that or, you know, quite remembered all the all the dots. I know I know for me, I, I think I had to come across you a, you know, a number of times before I started, you know, figuring out, you know, who, who you were exactly. But some of the technology that you offer, um, you know, fits into these sort of scenarios where you know privacy and you know security of data is, is really important so you know, I think it's um, yeah it's pro- probably good timing that you're in here uh, <laughs> on the show this week yeah so um, sumo logic is a cloud-based um, analytics uh, company so we look at all of the data that machines create whether that's uh, um, h- how people are using using various sort of uh, cloud-based systems or web-based systems uh, we, we work with companies like uh, Samsung with Internet of Things. So when they uh, push out a new device, uh, we give them insights into how their um, device's um, adoption is happening, how it's being used, which features are being used. You know, when they bring out the uh, ac- uh, smartwatch Active 2 and all those types of things, they want to know which features are being used. So we give them insights into what's happening there. Um, but we can also use that data to, to look at um, other things. So we can investigate and, and detect uh, when there are risks. So, for instance, if we go back to the police case, um, if the police were making a, um, if there was being an update to the system, uh, they should have been able to detect by doing security testing ahead of the release whether the, the regression testing uh, had found that there was some changes in the way that the application can be used from version to version. So we, we can do things like detect those types of things that are very quickly. Um, usually that used to be a process that would take um, you know, months if not years to put, uh, put in place um, like an operations centre to have those types of controls. So yeah, the old school on-premise type approaches for that were a couple of years to do that. Uh, we're working with organisations like um, Pokemon. Um, so Pokemon, who run the Pokemon Go platform, they do you know plushy toys, all, all of those types of things. Yeah. They're, they're they're dealing with some really really um, important privacy information. This is the privacy of the location of where your children are 
and where where they might be at the same time next week. So, you know, right. they've got yeah, a that, serious that's pretty important. sort of. Uh, and, I mean, we talked about the guns, but how, this how is do, another scenario yeah. where I think people would be. How do they protect yeah, that? And, fairly and, up in arms if, if that information was being leaked co- correct. out. Correct. Right? Yeah, and, yeah. and, and a lot of these systems are so complex that uh, you end up with about, you know, 30 or 40 different uh, sources of data that you need to look at all at the same time. And the volume of that data can no longer be handled by a typical human. Uh, by going through it all, there's just such a volume that uh, by the time you figured out basically where the risk was, you'd be sort of two weeks, uh, two weeks later, and uh, you would have been compromised or something. Yeah, right. By that so stage. this is where your your artificial intelligence, yeah. your AI, so you know, capability comes into sort of analysing all that data and yeah. picking out the the, the yeah. most important so pieces of it. Yeah, so being able to correlate that that data between all of the different signals we're getting from the different tools and being able to determine that, hey, here is a real threat and pick that up in almost real time. And um, so we've just acquired a uh, new company called JASC, uh, which is all around being able to do those types of things. So security analysts that that should be, you know, protecting us from, you know, these data breaches like the police and those types of things, they're typically way, way overloaded. It will take them um, hours, if not days or weeks to actually detect problems. You know, in fact, the average time undetected for you know somebody in a system these days is over a hundred days because yeah, the volumes yeah. are so big, people can't handle it, and they need the ability to use these AI and machine learning capabilities to be able to detect these controls in near real time and then stop Ad- the risk. Address down. them, and that's why we keep hearing about these scenarios because it's a, say a member of the public or somebody yeah. you know, who's compromised because organisations own. Uh, you know, teams and yep. technologies aren't able to actually detect that yep. as quickly as they should be. So, yeah, you're you're waiting on somebody to, you know, be nice and to and to tell you. Uh, in a lot of cases, yeah. uh, that's that's you yeah, know, you're you, using the yeah. public to do the security yeah. testing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas that should have been baked into the process. Yeah. And and your tooling should have actually picked that type of thing up. And it's about having having those things so that you you've got multiple layers of uh, defence in depth, as it were, yeah. to um, identify these things. So yeah, yeah that, that's a it's a key drop ball, I think, really by um, by the by the police here not having those sort of uh, processes in place. Oh well, they might be your next uh, your next customer. Uh, sounds 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 <laughs> like they need they need to be. Yeah. So yeah. Now. Um, w- yeah, 2019, we're drawing to a close. 2020's uh, about to, about to hit. We're you know basically what are we uh, four weeks from the end of the the decade, and we'll yeah. be we'll be into the uh, the next one. What are, what's been on uh, your mind, or that you've been hearing uh, from New Zealand uh, organisations that are you know that they're they're thinking about, I guess, from uh, you know, because there's always, I always see there's two aspects to technology to technology within within businesses. It's you know, how do you minimise and mitigate the risks, and then how do you maximise the things that are really going to benefit yeah. an organisation. But um, yeah, yeah, what are, what are you hearing about maybe on on you know on either side? But I, you know, I guess there's a big a big part that uh, with Sumo Logic you play on that that. Uh, minimising and, and and mitigating the risk side, isn't there? Yeah, um, it's kind of kind of both sides. So, 
Um, what we're now starting to see is, you know, in in the US, sort of about 18 months, two years ago, they were getting some really rapid adoption of some new technologies. Uh, so there's this technology called Kubernetes, which is just a way to actually deliver software outcomes faster and more reliably at scale. We're now starting to see that type of thing being adopted very quickly in New Zealand organisations. So I mostly work with organisations that are you know, trying to be disruptors in the industry, um, the, the, the thought leaders, companies that are um, you know, like, like Zero and, and others uh, that are going out to a global market and innovating. And as they start having to deal with the at-scale issues of business, uh, they're finding that the complexity of their systems uh, is is now reaching a sort of a tipping point in the old ways of figuring out how do I troubleshoot that, how do I keep it reliable, aren't working anymore. Yeah, so we're yeah. working with those types of companies. Um, so we're now starting to see you know organisations like you know the the largest of New Zealand's sort of government organisations. Uh, taking their business out of data centres in the process of shutting down their on-premise data centres and moving to public cloud providers uh, like Amazon, like uh, Microsoft's Azure, like uh, Google's GCP. And they're, they're placing bets in um, all, all of those sort of different providers. Yeah, it seems, um, seems quite commonly people aren't just, or organisations aren't just choosing one. They, they tend, you know, there's a lot of use of yeah. uh, using, you know, using multiple uh, cloud providers. Yeah, cor- correct. So you know, um, Google sometimes being being used for the likes of um, analytics and um, AI type tooling. Um, they seem to have have some really good sort of uh, foundations in that space. But people that are doing kind of uh, more um, you know, Java based sort of application development tend to tend towards the Amazon sort of players. Uh, but New Zealand's got a lot of business in 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 the Microsoft space and we're seeing a lot of those those um, independent software vendors uh, that have started off in the Microsoft space are now moving their applications out into Azure. Azure. Mm. And we're seeing the, uh, the public uh, sector companies uh, doing the same things. Um, a lot of things change when you actually move things out, out to the cloud. Um, you've, you've got to have in place basically all of the checks and balances to make sure that when you push stuff out to the cloud, you've got all of the right security controls and all in place. That's and, du- that stuff's not easy, is it? It's, yeah. just, it's difficult and it's time-consuming. Yeah, and if you get yeah. it wrong, yeah, you end up sort of uh, being in the news like the police did. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah you've yeah. got to get it right. And, and yeah. uh, some of the agencies that I'm seeing are taking a very measured and structured approach to how they're doing that, establishing you know, loading zones and learning how this stuff works uh, before they actually put live sort of workloads and all out there so that they're not um, you know, putting the reputation of their organisation at risk. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think we, we have to... We have to move at you know pace in a lot of situations, but there also need to be the structures so you can uh, move at pace without putting everything yeah. at risk. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, if we go back about a year ago, uh, there was maybe two companies that were doing this Kubernetes technology out in out in public cloud. Yep. Um, if, if I look today, there's maybe two hundred now of maybe the eight hundred uh, software vendors that are taking software as a service out to the global market. So that's almost a you know twenty five percent sort of uh, increase um, over a one year period. It's been remarkable how quickly that's happened, and um, the same sort of trends have been seen in the U.S. about you know that eighteen months sort of two years ago. So we're mm. just on the cusp mm. of that uh, learning learning at the moment. Yep. Um, 
The other trend we're seeing is um, software developers are being very, very dominant in um, in how how businesses are being disrupted. And it's the software vendors that are able to automate the entire end-to-end process are the ones that are really succeeding. So you know, automating your security testing, automating your build, your configuration, automating your monitoring and observability all the way through. So that automation is, is the key for organizations of any size, whether they're a, you know, a disruptive software vendor delivering SaaS services to a global economy or a you know, New Zealand sort of public sector, e-government sort of organization. Um, they need to be leveraging automation. Yeah, and, and I think yeah, that's a, a lesson for any business of, or organization of any size, right? You, you know, you don't want to be doing things manually that you can uh, that you can automate unless you're getting some yeah some huge benefit of it being done by uh, people. But often these things are either mundane you know there's mundane workloads or things that actually just can't be done. Like what you talked about with you know some some um, you know most security uh, breaches not you know not being uh, not being found quickly or the, the the average time to find things being that hundred days, days yeah. um you know that's uh, yeah it's amazing that's still the case so um yeah i think there's there's all, all sorts of reasons why we've uh, we've we've got to up our game um and and be yeah working out and um and and getting going with this uh, you know the varying types of of automation yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We're, we're certainly seeing you know organizations that are um when they go out to a global market, uh, the level of compliance they've got to have to uh, regulatory sort of um, environments and the likes mm. uh, does up upshift quite a lot. So yeah. if you're a organisation trying to go and break into a global market, um, come and have a chat to, to Sumo Logic. We'd we'd love to talk to you about how we can actually help you get there in a very you know cost effective way. Nice. Oh, it's awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of uh, of this episode. So, thanks, Paul. Thank you for joining the show, Stephen. Uh, thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening in, and uh, a special thank you to uh, to the partners of the show that uh, make it possible. Uh, we do have some interesting uh, episodes coming up over the next uh, uh, next 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 couple of uh, next couple of weeks. Oh, the uh, the new MacBook Pros just j- jumped into the discussion. You might not have he- heard that, but uh, it heard something I was saying and, and decided it wanted to uh, uh, jump in and uh, respond by voice. Um, I do have here the new MacBook Pro 16-inch, which is a phenomenal um, machine from what I've seen of it uh, so far. Um, uh, eight cores, stunning big screen and... Uh, whatnot, um, and and a few things on the keyboard front that people didn't like that they've uh, they've addressed. Um, so I'll be trying that out over the next next little while, and I'll uh, I'll I'll report back on that. But we don't have time for uh, for it this week. Um, but as I was saying, thank you to our uh, show partners, uh, Sumo Logic, Vodafone, Spark, Vocus, HP, and Samsung. And yep, look out for our uh, our shows coming up uh, between now and Christmas. Uh, we've got uh, I'll be in uh, a bit of time in Singapore, China, um, probably at least a couple of other countries in the mix as well. So uh, we've got some special episodes uh, coming. All right, thanks everyone. We'll catch you next week for the next episode. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. 
brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.